Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. It is, a, it is a treat to be here. Rarely as an evangelist do I get the opportunity to kind of piggyback ride on a series. Usually I'm doing evangelistic type outreaches. So I'm, I'm excited and grateful that Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Jeremy um, would let me piggyback ride uh, on this, this series as we deal with family. As we realize there's no more crucial thing than family. If you attack family, you can attack the fiber of society. The enemy knows that. He can wreck family. He can wreck everything. So we understand the importance of family. But before I go there, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and go with me into the book of Ephesians chapter 6. I'm gonna, I, I would do you a disservice if I didn't take a couple minutes to at least talk about my own family. I would not be here if it were not for my wife and my children. My wife and I, come August, we would have been married 20 years and uh, so praise the Lord, we're about to hit the big 20-year mark, and uh, she chased this chocolate brother down, and uh, <laughs> ladies always tell her dark chocolate's good for the heart. It's good for the heart. You live longer, a little chocolate in your life. And, um, and the Lord, um, the Lord, and this is hard. When I say this, it sounds more spiritual than it is, but the Lord blessed us not to have children naturally. It wasn't a blessing while we were going through it. We tried for nine years to conceive, and we could not. And I come from a big family, so does my wife. There were six of us. There were three boys, three girls. We were like the black ghetto Brady Bunch. <laughs> That's right. My wife's Caucasian. She come from a family of five. So we knew we were not going to court anyone who did not want big families because we both grew up in that beautiful, chaotic mess. And, uh, and it was wonderful. So we have adopted... Um, two little boys, and to set that up is I have also been fighting against human trafficking, and because there's some children in here, I have to be real careful, but I've been fighting against human trafficking for over 25 years as a ministry and 30 years as a believer. So one of, um, one of my boys comes out of that world, and um, so ministries here that y'all are supporting, um, anything y'all can do to keep children off the street, keep families together, that helps me rescue one less child. So both my boys um, have come out of that world. My oldest is now nine. Y'all, I said it to um, the other services, there's nothing like a little chunky black baby with an afro. <laughs> mm, ghetto-licious. My second son, oh, he's six years old, nothing cuter than a little cute little marshmallow white baby. That's right, I'm a black man with a white son. I always told people I want my house to look like the international farmer's market. 
I grew up going to the international farmer's market because I grew up in the inner city, so it was all it was all black. And so I would just go to the farmer's market just to see all the different ethnicities. And I can remember being a 12-year-old going, someday I want a child from every country. And I always had that heart. And, uh, and so, um, so my wife and I um, have adopted two uh, amazing um, little boys. And so family is near and dear. Okay, so let me set this up. If you're in Ephesians, um, Apostle Paul did not have a wife and a family and children. So if you're here and you're single, you're not married, you need to listen to this sermon today. Because unless you plan on being single forever, you're going to have a family someday. And the best thing you can do is start preparing for it now. Come on, adults, am I not telling the truth? I haven't shared this with the other services, but one of the worst things the devil can tell you is that what you do as a young person won't impact you later as an adult. 95% 95% of the people that come in my office for counseling, especially if they're having marriage trouble, say there's a gentleman, he's struggling to stay faithful to his wife. and He's 30, 40, 50. I've never had a guy in my office that said his struggle started at the age of 30, 40. Most of the time they go, man, I was 12, 13, 14, 15. My uncle, my dad, my cousin introduced me to some inappropriate stuff. And, but it's, their issue started well before they were married men. See, so Satan wants you to think, those of you who are single and stuff, that you can get it together once you get married. You better start working on being that person now so that you can bless your spouse. Because otherwise, your spouse is going to end up dealing with stuff they had nothing to do with because you usually bring that stuff into your marriage. Come on, y'all. They say the average American girl before she's married has had seven to nine heartbreaks. So that means by the time she meets the guy that says, I will marry you forever, he's getting crumbs of her heart. She's had too many dirty dogs hurt her. And she ain't near as trusting as she was that 16-year-old who fell in love for the first time. Now she's 25, 26, older. She says, I don't trust no man. So by the time the guy who says, I'm going to marry you forever, he's dealing with all the other guys who've broken his wife's heart. That's why I'm telling you guys, I have two boys I'm teaching my boys already to be future husbands. The Bible says God's coming back for a bride. He ain't coming back for a girlfriend. A girlfriend can be a hookup, but you can boot her tail tomorrow. (laughs) God's about commitment. I'm teaching my boys already. I could care less about who their future girlfriends are going to be. I don't even want them to introduce girlfriends. They introduce the ones that they tell me they're ready to marry because I don't want to be looking at a girl whose heart my son may break. So I'm trying to raise up boys who will be great husbands. And someday I want my future daughter-in-law to go, thank you for raising a man that's marriage material. Because there's so few of those. But this ain't to guilt anybody. Because I wasn't that either until Jesus got a hold of me. So we got to understand what Paul's saying. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. The church is under all kinds of attack. So if you're in this room and you came in here and you're different to talk about family, nobody in this room has a perfect family. If you got a little leave it to beaver family, the rest of us are fixing to mess you up. Come on. If you that, y'all staring in each other's eyes, romantic all the time. That's all sweet. My wife, we first got married. She's into these romance novels. There's always some handsome guy. He lives in the gym. Hair blowing. He still got his hair blowing in the wind. Shirts buttoned down, showing off his chiseledness. They floating down the river in a little canoe. He's got a rose in his mouth speaking French, wee oui, wee, oui, because that's all I know. 
I told my wife, when they quit floating down the river, does that brother have a J-O-B? <laughs> Y'all you know I mean? living in that little canoe. You better get things right. I tell people it's amazing how attractive my gut is to my wife when the bills are paid. I've seen many a chiseled guys living at home with their mama. So look, let's keep everything in perspective, y'all. We have got to get a right perspective. Nobody in this room has it all together. So if I say some things today that you're like, well, I'm not walking in that, it's not meant to guilt you. It's meant to help all of us realize that, Lord, help us walk out these truths because they're in your scripture. So this ain't to guilt or shame anyone, but this is to say to all of us, none of us can do this apart from Christ. So we got that, we understand? Because look, you know your pastors, you know they love you, but when you're a guest speaker, you know, I don't have all this time to build relationships with you guys. I got 35 minutes to make an impact in your life, so I got to come in and hit it. I can't, I can't skirt around stuff because I don't, I, don't, I don't get to do community with you. So guest speakers can sometimes be seen as a little harsh because we don't have all the time in the world to befriend you. We just got to come in and tell it like it is. So I'm going to say some things that are going to be hard, but yet I think you'll be able to receive them and know that I love you and say that I'm not even here myself. I'm actually going to walk out, trying to walk out some of the things that I hope that you will be challenged with. So if you got your Bibles, um, Ephesians chapter 6, there are three things I want you to get out of this this morning. Number one, know who your true enemy is. (laughs) Know who your true enemy is. Number two, know how to battle that enemy. And number three, know the key to finishing well in your battle. Before we're done with these scriptures, I hope that you will see those things. So if you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to pick up at verse 10. This is Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. They're dealing with persecution. Families are being split up. Children are being abused. There's all kinds of horrible stuff going on. And Paul loves family because he starts out in this chapter talking about children obey your mother and your father. Fathers don't provoke your children to anger. So obviously Paul cared about the family of the church and the nucleus family. But then he gets down and he starts talking about warfare. There's not a passage on how to raise your family. But Paul understood all families are going to deal with warfare. You're going to deal with it. You live long enough. Something's coming your way that's not good. So listen to what he says here in verse 10. He goes, finally, be strong in the who? In the Lord. (laughs) Right then and there, there's a sermon. He's telling them, be strong in the Lord. Not strong in Apostle Paul, strong in Pastor Jeremy, strong in the guest speaker. He goes, be strong in the Lord. This is Paul's way of saying, you can't do this. Christ can. Be strong in the Lord. And the next part says what? And in the strength of his might, not your might, the reason why a lot of families go south is you keep trying to fix it. You can't fix this with your college degree. You can't fix this with your your retirement account. You can't fix this with your health care, your home, your income. This is Paul Ware saying there's some things coming at us that are so deep, you can't fix it. Weakness has never caused anyone to fall. Pride has. Your weakness is not your issue. Matter of fact, God seems to be more tender when you confess your weakness. Says he shows himself strong in our weakness. And Paul says, that's the case. I'm confessing all my weakness. Weakness will never be the reason why a human being fail. It's their pride, our inability to admit we're weak. You keep trying to fix things because you, it makes you feel good to fix things. So therefore, you get all the credit for it. 
I went to school. I studied hard. I climbed this ladder. I'm doing all these things. And there are going to come some things in your family that no matter how hard you try, you can't fix it. And you're going to have to learn to lean into the God. And that's why he says, in the Lord, the Lord is our strength. He goes, it's Jesus who saved you. It's going to be Jesus who sustains you. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm going to say this again. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's actually Paul's way of saying, y'all can relax because this, this ain't about you. Christianity is most effective when it's least about you. This is Paul's way of saying, you didn't have, you didn't, you couldn't save yourself and you're not going to do anything to conquer the spiritual warfare that's coming at you and your family apart from you letting the one who carries your sins to Calvary be the one that carries your family. And if you don't know what the real battle is, you'll end up fighting your spouse and not the real enemy. You'll end up thinking your husband didn't compliment you enough. Your wife didn't stroke your ego enough. Your parents didn't cook you enough cookies. We're Americans. We spend our whole lives blaming people for what we're not. That's what we do. It's never our fault if we don't turn out right. Oprah will bring us on our show and we can blame everybody. That's what we do. We're Americans. We never take ownership of anything. It's always our fault. And I said it to the young people this week. Nobody will ever wound us more than we will. Because if you don't get a right understanding of who you are in Christ, you give people way too much power to influence your life. We end up blaming everybody. It's Biden's fault, Trump's fault, Nancy Pelosi's fault, it's the governor, the mayor, everything. And I'm not saying some of them people ain't crazy. <laughs> but I'm saying ultimately there's a greater enemy even beneath all of that stuff. And listen to what Paul says here. Put on the whole armor of God. We're going to talk about what that is. That you may be able to do what? Stand. And stand against what? Come on, girl, I like this. this is the way we're having black church. You're talking back to me. I like that. Talk to me. He goes against the schemes of the devil. Y'all, wouldn't it be easy if he was running around in some red tights with a pit fork? It's like, that brother's scheming. That means he knows how to be sneaky. That word scheming means he'll sucker punch you. You ever said somebody said, look, meet me after school and we're going to have a throwdown. And then you wait for them and they come behind you and hit you in the grill, sucker punch you. That means Satan's scheming. That means he won't fight fair. So if you aren't... If, Number one, know who your real enemy is. That, that one's the devil. That's the first one. It's the devil. If you think it's your parents, your spouse, how can God say love your enemy? He also ain't talking about the devil. There's enemies, but there's an enemy beneath the enemy. <laughs> Sometimes you have bosses and coworkers and family members that are coming at you, but there's a deeper battle beneath that, and it's spiritual. And if you don't see it as spiritual, then you'll end up hating the very people that Jesus came to save. You'll end up being so angry that they didn't vote the way you did and they don't believe the way you do and their family's not raised conservative and you'll end up hating them so much that you can't even pray for their soul. And then that shows that you're fighting the wrong battle, which is exactly what Satan wants you to fight is the wrong battle. You end up fighting your spouse and then therefore you won't be able to pray for them because you're so mad they didn't meet all your needs. And give me everything I want. Well, the Bible says Jesus, come on, y'all. Jesus is to be your all in all. That does sound so romantic. If you're a young guy here and you're single and some girl says, I can't live without you, run, she crazy. That's some stalkerish stuff. Ain't nothing romantic about that. Some dude says, I can't live without you. Get your daughter away from that crazy. 
That's not sound all so sweet till you get married. You realize nobody's staring in each other's eyes 24-7. My kids over here with a poopy diaper. Ain't nothing attractive about that. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Me and my wife went through this book called The Five Love Languages. Before we had kids, she goes, I love quality time and everything. We flirt and everything. It was awesome. We get kids. I'm trying to give them quality time. I'm going, why aren't you responding the same? She goes, I need you to wash the dishes now. All of a sudden, I'll be down with some Dawn soap in my hand, washing dishes. My wife over there staring at me like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Y'all ladies, don't tell the truth. She's like, you want to get me going now? Wash them dishes. I'm tired of chasing these babies around. <laughs> Y'all know it's true. It changes. So I don't need no quality time. I need to go take a bubble bath. I need for you to put them kids down tonight. <laughs> I want to marry people laughing all the single people y'all think y'all selfless wait till you get married <laughs> marriage will expose you y'all remember when you were dating you couldn't you just couldn't get away from each other for even two minutes and then you get married you're like Man, I really need some guy time she's like I really need to go hang out with my girlfriend you know, <laughs> y'all know talk is true when you first dating each other you see those couples they hold hands they even walk into the gas station <laughs> you get married after a while, you're like, look, I just need some time away from you for a minute. <laughs> then my wife was like, if we could just have children. Oh, we could have children. Then we adopted kids. Then she's like, honey, if I could just get away from the kids. Cause I just need a break for a moment, just a moment. <laughs> right? Y'all know it's true. You're like, I love them, but right now I'm ready to choke them out. <laughs> Me and my wife have a theory. That's why God makes kids so cute so you don't choke them out. That's why I gotta make him so cute. <laughs> Y'all gonna run. <laughs> Y'all listen, he goes, verse 12. He goes, for we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. He goes, man, we're wrestling against some true darkness, but it's, it's, it's demonic, it's evil, Satan's behind it. It's not against flesh and blood. That's why I can stand here this morning and say, I know that if I, I'm never to be a racist because I know that's sin. Because my battle will never be against an ethnicity. That's still flesh and blood. It brings no attention to God. Christians don't believe in revenge and some boomerang faith. No. Christians believe in grace and mercy and forgiveness. My battle's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Doesn't mean that I just let people push me over, but it means I also got to realize that if that person knows God, then maybe they will no longer be my battle in the flesh. And if I'm so caught up in how they're treating me at work, how, what they're saying to me, and if it gets me so angry, I can't even pray for their souls and Satan knows he's one. Because then you start acting like you came out the wound redeemed. So even your enemies who are enemies of God, you were once God's enemy too. There's no genetic trait for being a Christian. You're not a Christian because your grandmother is. No DNA, there ain't no genetic stuff for that. We were all once enemies of God. Thank God somebody shared the gospel with us. Thank God somebody looked past our flesh because every one of us in here hurt somebody before we knew the Lord. Thank God that wasn't held against us. And somehow, somebody still shared the good news with us that they looked past our behavior and saw our need for a Savior. Come on. 
Thank God they looked past some of the ugly things we did to them. In a room with this many people and this many adults, that means all of us have lived long enough to have some regrets. We've all said or done something ugly we wish we could take back. Thank God that didn't keep us from hearing the good news of the gospel. Thank God somebody looked past all those shady things we were doing and still shared the good news of Jesus with us. Y'all, it's hard. Y'all, fighting trafficking is the hard. I was talking to your pastor this morning. I said, Pastor Jerry, it's the hardest thing the Lord has ever asked me to do. He didn't make me this big a man to be a wimp. And when you see men abusing children, you can think y'all are all in here so godly. Let somebody come at your children. Even some of you church ladies in here would be jumping over these pews to get somebody. You'd be jumping out of these chairs. It's the hardest thing the Lord's ever asked me to do, and I had to lean into him. And look past people's flesh and go, I want to choke the life out of that guy. But I still got to find a way to pray for his soul. Come on, y'all. Listen to this. He goes, I got to keep going. Oh, Lord, I'm having fun. <sighs> Verse 13, therefore, this is how we fight the enemy. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Armor is because you have to do battle. You're not going into parade with some armor. <laughs> so Paul's assuming here, whether you like it or not, if you are a believer, it's a matter of when warfare comes your way. The enemy's gonna come after you and your family. He's coming. And you're naive if you think that it's not coming your way. And so he said, you gotta have armor so that you can fight the enemy. God didn't tell you to fight the enemy and not give you a way to fight him. Don't you hate it when preachers and stuff will say, you need to have more faith, but we won't tell you how to grow in faith. Need to trust God more. Nah, duh, Sherlock. How do I do that? I know I need more faith. I know I need to treat my wife and kids better. Tell me, how do I get there? So Paul's saying, look, there's warfare against the devil and he tells you how to do it. He says, God's giving you armor. Armor, the armor of God, not your armor. God is giving you armor. So you don't, this is Paul's way of saying, you don't have to be afraid of the enemy thinking, how can I fight the enemy? You can't, but God can through you. How can I be the husband I'm called to be? You can't, but through Christ you can. How can I be the children they want me, my parents want me, the wife, the husband? On your own, you're gonna fall on your face. But if you're trusting God, his armor, God will help you look way better than you do if you learn to just humble ourselves and say, Father, have it. Listen to what he says here. Y'all, this is so good. Oh my goodness. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. He keeps mentioning stand. This is Paul's way of saying there's going to come a time in your life where you just got to get sick and tired of attack coming your way and you and your family just got to stand and roll up your sleeves and get to battle. You got to say, I'm sick and tired of you attacking my children, attacking my marriage, attacking my parents, attacking my workplace, and attacking our community. And you, that's when you just got to say, Lord, it's time to do battle. It's time to do battle. And this ain't something that elected officials can do. I'm talking about battle that the children of God can do. This is a spiritual warfare we're fighting. And this, is, this can't be seen with the natural eye. Not everything we're doing is going to be seen in the community, but it may be seen by our Lord. And he will make changes that earthly people can't do. But you got to ask yourself, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Listen to what he says here. Listen to what he says. He goes, um, it's, stand there for... I love this part. In verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, that the truth is the gospel. He's saying the truth is the gospel. The gospel is the thing that holds everything together. 
I, I don't care who you are. He was saying, look, I'm saying this. If your family is to go in the same trajectory, y'all are to fight the enemy, y'all aren't going anywhere if y'all ain't in the word together. If the only time your family gets the word is when y'all come to church, y'all are starving yourselves spiritually. There are 168 hours in a week and your pastor gets a whopping 35 minutes to make a great impact in your life. I, he does it well too. I listen to his sermons. I like, man, you're a better man than me. I picked his brain last night over some sushi. Mm. I did. I said, dude, how do you do that? The average preacher spends three to 15 hours for one sermon and you get 35 minutes to make an impact. And he does it well. <laughs> and I does it better than I can do it. And I'm like, are you kidding? He goes, take up the whole armor, stand. But he does it through the truth by giving you all the truth of the gospel. You are, I don't care if your work's coming at you and Satan through politics. If you and your family aren't in the word on the regular, you're opening up the enemy to attack you. He said, well, I've never really done it. I ought not to be a leader. It's never too late to do the right thing now. It's never too late. Ladies, even if you think you're the more spiritual in the family, if your man is a believer, you need to be encouraging him to lead. Even if you think, well, I know it better, so don't humble yourself and encourage that man to lead. Say, lead us in the word of God. Because if you know anything, sometimes our kids end up doing things that we never encourage them to do. So you have a kid that's out vaping, smoking, rebelling. Most of you would never tell your kid to do that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. Sometimes you can do all you know to do to raise a kid right, and they can get one or two little shady friends who can help them undo everything you've taught those kids. Friendships are just as powerful in this culture as you raising your kids are now. These kids will sometimes overlook you for what their parents, for friends are telling them. That's why you got to do all you can to cover them because sometimes they won't do and listen to what you're saying, but you still got to make sure you're putting a word in them so that maybe when they're trying to go out and do something shady or rebellious, maybe God will bring that word back up into their minds and heart and it'll keep them from doing some shady stuff. Come on. But you're, see, your pride is thinking, no, I can just raise them right and do it all. Are you kidding? I know very godly parents whose kids are strayed. Sometimes when our kids love the Lord, we get too much credit. And sometimes when they don't, we get too much blame. There's no rhyme or reason or you'd be the richest person in the world if you could have a book on how to raise the perfect family and children. I've had kids come through my ministry who were on fire for the Lord like they preached to a squirrel if you asked them to. But their parents were as lost as all get out. And then I'll have kids come through and their parents are the most godly, gentle people and their kids act like Satan's children. It don't even make sense. Oh, you got the godless parents I've ever seen. And y'all are some little hellions over here. Y'all know it's true. There's no rhyme or reason how our kids are going to turn out our marriages. So we got to at least do our best to cover our families in the word of God. Sunday mornings is not enough. Y'all, I didn't get to be this big because I ate one meal a day. Come on. Stand therefore, having the belt of truth, having the, the breastplate of righteousness. He was saying, let God's righteousness be the thing that covers your heart, where all your emotion and affections come from. Meaning, it's his righteousness. Because there are going to be times in your life where you're going to fall. And you're going to, Satan can bring guilt and shame your way if you're walking in your holiness and your lack of instead of his righteousness. 
even after you become a Christian, we end up doing things that aren't right and we struggle. And if you aren't, or you aren't letting God's righteousness guard your precious heart, then Satan will make you feel so guilty and shameful. And that stuff sounds so humble, doesn't it? I don't deserve this. Look what I did. Such a horrible person. That's false humility. You're acting like your sin is greater than God's grace. You're like you're the one person that's done something that's greater than what Christ has done for you. I don't care how much shadiness you brought in this room, your sin will never top his grace. You will never outsin his grace. So you can let the enemy beat you up. I hadn't always been the greatest husband, wife, child, friend. Join the club. You can't even become a Christian until you admit you're a screw up. Our whole faith is built on that. It ain't built on no ego stuff. You can't become a Christian until you admit you're a sinner. You can't come to God flexing about where you went to college and how much money you make. God's going, that's welfare. Boy, I paid my streets out of gold. Bill Gates is on welfare up here. What are you talking about? You think I was impressed with a college degree? Set the stars in place. So we can't even come to God without humility. So when you fall, if, matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 says, while you were yet in sin, Christ died for you. That means when you were at your absolute worst, he gave you his absolute best. I'm talking about family. God the Father, God the Son, God the, we call it the Trinity, three in. God completely wrecks that family by allowing his son to be brutally beaten, drugged through the street, beard plucked out, nailed to a cross and mocked so that he could bring in all of us adopted dysfunctional kids with all of our sin. I'm talking about somebody who, who understood family. You couldn't ask for a better child than Jesus, and he completely allowed him to be persecuted beyond understanding so that he could bring in all of us into his family who would trust him. Nobody loved family the way God does. He was willing to put his under some immense stuff so that we could come in. He trades a son who'd never sinned, rebelled, lied, and for all we can bring to the table is our deception, our lust, our anger, our bitterness, our hurts. And he said, okay, I'll trade you. Give me all your sins. Well, what am I going to get out of it? I'm going to see you, my son, nailed to a cross. All you could bring to God was rubbish. He said, I'll take it, but I'm going to give you eternal life. It doesn't even seem like a fair trade, does it? You bring them sin, and then you end up walking away with eternal life. That's what Paul is reminding them. Let that be the thing that guards your family that you realize God allowed his family to be wrecked so that you could get in it. So make sure you guard your family with the gospel of truth. You make sure you're prepared, your feet are ready to go out and walk and stand against the evil one. He listens to this, he goes, have the shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. He was saying, don't you take a step without God's gospel of peace directing what you do. Honey, where are we gonna, how are we going to spend this money? Where are we going to go on vacation? What are we going to do? Y'all, during COVID, we were at the peak of our ministry in 2020. COVID hit and we lost it all. I know a lot of Christians who did not lose their jobs. They didn't need all them stimulus checks. Biden was handing them things out like Monopoly money. And they were spending those money, those checks on themselves. All the while, they want to call me up and complain about the government. What's wrong with the government? What's wrong with the president? I'm going, what'd you do with that stimulus check? Oh, bought a new purse. We some tires on the car. Bought fishing rod. I'm going, oh, oh. What's that got to do with the devil? And what's that got to do with government? 
See, God will make us look at ourselves and quit blaming everybody else. Now, I mean, people lost their jobs and there was an opportunity for a lot of us to bless them. You still had your job. You didn't lose any money. You could have gone, I don't need no $1,500, but that family lost everything. Man, maybe I can go over and share the love of God with them because the government didn't tell you how to spend that money. They just gave it to us. See? See what the gospel does? The gospel makes me look at me instead of blaming everyone else. And God makes me roll up my sleeve. God's always caused very marginal people to change the world. He goes, give the Caesars what's Caesars and the God's what's God. God will take the little we have and absolutely change the world, y'all, if we trust him, amen? That is the beauty, y'all, of the gospel. Listen to this. We're, we're getting there. We're almost done. Listen, he goes, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That's just his way of saying, it's your faith that's going to help you stand against Satan coming at you with warfare. I had a preacher once say to me, if you're not dealing with any warfare, I wonder if you're even in the war. Does Satan even consider you an enemy? If you got something coming at you, there's always something, but that's Satan's way of actually testifying to you that God's making a change in your life. Some of you have been beating yourself. I don't know all this stuff's coming at me. If it's coming at you, Satan's actually testifying. It's not a testimony if you're the only one that believes it, right? If you're all day going, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. If 10 out of 10 people think you're a jerk, you're a jerk. <laughs> you're the only one that believes you've been changed. You're probably not a Christian. So sometimes Satan will testify of the change in your life. Because how do you know you've really changed? When the enemy's bringing warfare your way, he's throwing these darts at you, trying to get you off your game. You're like, man, I've really turned around. I'm trying to get away from those strongholds. I'm trying to get away from these bad relationships I used to be in, people I dated that weren't good for me, attitudes and anger. And then all of a sudden, these things are coming your way to kind of stir up some of that stuff. That's the enemy trying to get you off your game. Now he's testifying that you've changed. And it's your faith in God that's going to help you from going back into that. You're going to go, you know what? My old self would have choked this person out right now. But by faith, I'm going to let them keep their teeth today. <laughs> by faith, I'm not going to go off on you right now. But last year, I may have told you some choice words. See, Satan's coming at you trying to throw you off your game. But because you're walking by faith now, you go, you know what? I still want to react that way. But you know what? Greater is he that's in me. So I'm just going to put that on to right now. And before people try and stroke your ego about how awesome you are, you're going to stop them in their track and go, hey man, if it wasn't for the Lord, you, you might have been in trouble today. Praise be to God that the old me would have went off on you, but God's really changing my heart. And I'm not doing this because I'm awesome or better than you. I'm doing this because he's just been so good to me. I just want to bring him some praise. I'm not that awesome, but his love for me was overwhelming. If he can die on the cross for me, then I can keep from telling you off. He's done the greater lifting. So your faith will make it turn into praise unto the Lord. And then listen to this. Get ready. We're, this is where we're coming down. We're, we're rolling this ship in. Let's see. He goes, um, verse 18. This is how we continually win. This is how we have victory in the battles. Verse 18. Praying at what? Come on, y'all, not, not after someone gets COVID, gets cancer. Paul is saying the, the, the way that we maintain victory is through prayer. It's through prayer. Prayer is the most humble thing you can do. Prayer is your way of saying, Lord, I need help. 
I can't be everything you call me to be. I can't be everything people want me to be. I'm falling short at work. I'm falling short in my marriage. I'm falling short at school. I'm falling. You can be overwhelmed. And we go to God in prayer and say, Lord, you have saved us, which is a miracle. And if you were able to save my soul, then you can give me everything I need to bring you glory. I wasn't strong enough to redeem myself either, but you did it. So I'm gonna get on my knees. Even if your family's going great, I want you to still be a man and woman of prayer. The best thing you can do for the married people is every night before y'all go to bed, pray together. You want to turn, you want to create some intimacy in your home. And guys, I've never met a woman that didn't like that. I can't believe you want to pray for me. What kind of man are you? Your wife's got that issue. She got some serious issues. Pray at all times for each other. Pray at all times over your children, over your parents. Realize who the real enemy is, that it's the devil. Realize how to fight them through the armor that God is giving you and realize how to maintain that victory is through your prayers. Cry out to the Lord at all times, not when things get bad and someone's sick. Pray now because you know it's a matter of time before something's coming. Satan's going to throw something, some wrench in it or try and mess up your little happy flow. But if you're already prepared for him, it doesn't have to devastate you. It may still hurt, but prayer a lot of times keeps things from devastating us. Because we're even praying in the good times and saying, Father, if they come, will you give me strength to stand? Will you help me cover my family? Will you help me be merciful where I need to be and forgiving and kind and understanding and compassionate? Y'all, this is where I close. The best thing all of you can do, whether you have families or not, you're in a family, the best thing you can do for one another is to make Jesus your all in all. It gives people an opportunity to be human. They don't have to be super Christian. They don't have to complete you because Christ does. And therefore, people can know that even if they fail you, you ain't looking for another spouse at work, flirting around. Even if they ain't give you everything you needed, they weren't the ones who were fulfilling you. Christ was. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the gospel. Father, as we seek you about um, our families and how we can all head in the same direction, Father, we know we can't do it apart from your truth. We know we can't do it, Lord, by relying on our own might. We can't lean into ourselves. So, Father, we're asking you, the same God who loved us at our worst, to help us lean into your might and your strength and your power, to help us take up that armor you've given us, Help us to take up that sword of the Spirit to do battle with. Father, help us, Lord. Help us to cover our families. Help children to pray and love their parents. Help parents, Lord, to know how to, how to lead their children. Help us, Lord, how to, how to lead our, our marriages and, and our spouses. Lord, if we've neglected to lead our families in the Word, then, Father, stir in our hearts. May, may we change that right now. Lord, if we've just expected our pastors to be everything for us, then Father, forgive us for that. We thank you for them. But Lord, they're not called to govern our homes. And Father, we know there's a real battle going on. And we see the devil and his schemes. And thank you, Lord, for helping us to see that and helping us to get ready for spiritual battle. Not just for our own families, but for every family in this community and this church. Lord, we're crying out on behalf of their families also. So Father, give us your faith. Give us your courage. And more than anything, Father, give us a heart more than anything to want to please you. 
We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. And all of God's people say it. God Amen. bless you. God bless you. And Amen. may the Lord Court bless you. appreciate, Brother Al.